from New York City. This is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and let's open with a nice, sunny segment from the opera Wozzeck. This is <laughs> Act 3, Scene 2, and it's all about the protagonist and his, well, listen. Why am I opening with that? And it's actually about somebody who is expiring. Well, it's because this section of the opera was titled by Alban Berg, Invention on a Note. And what he meant by that was that the note B, B natural, just permeates this whole part of the opera. So you could call it an invention on B. And the reason I played that is because I'm going to do an invention. This show is going to be an invention on Y. Not the letter, but the word why. I'm going to see how much I can get out of what is actually a really fun little word. But you know what? We need we need an actually sunny opening. That was terrible. Here are two people singing a song. And the reason that I chose the song is because it has the word why in it. I hear music and there's no one there. I smell blossoms and the trees are bare. All night long I seem to walk on air. I wonder why. I wonder why. Yes, that is me. And the little girl is my Dahlia. And we've been learning our call me madam lately. I'll, I'll discuss later what that is. But in any case, now that we're in probably a better mood than we were in listening to that murder, we can talk about how why came to be. The etymology of why. Where does it come from? Well, actually, it starts out as a word that would have been pronounced hui in Old English. And hui is the instrumental of the word what. Or in Old English, it would have been huat. So we're talking about this little list. So there was huat, which we now have as what. Then there was huas, which we now have as whose. Then there was huona, which becomes our whom. Then they had a wham, and that meant to what. We don't really have a modern equivalent of that. But then there was hui. So you had what, was, wanna, wham, hui, and hui became our why. Now you might wonder, why don't we still just say we, for example? And the reason is because a very long time ago, there was this thing called the great vowel shift in English. And what happened with this vowel shift is that the vowels all took a major step or a step or two away from where they had been, more or less around the same time. And it's a great deal of why, as I've discussed on the show before, our spelling system is such a mess. A lot of our spelling was formulated before the shift. And so our words are spelled the way earlier English was actually pronounced. But one of the things that happened was that the sound E became I. Now, imagine if you're saying E in what we think of as a Southern American accent. E, like that, kind of gomer pile. So E, E, A, I, I, 
I. That's what happened to the sound E. The word rice originally was pronounced Reese, and now we say rice. Or the word mice starts out as meese. Remember that old cartoon, those of us of a certain age? Remember Pixie and Dixie and Mr. Jinks and his catchphrase about loving meeses to pieces? Let's, let's hear that. I think I'll take it out on those two meeses. Bumblebee? Oh, no, not that. We're ready, Mr. Jinks. Okay, now make like bumblebees. Bumblebee? I'll get you, you bumblebees. Out, out, out! And stay out! I'm bumbling around here anymore. Do you like to play bumblebee? Yeah, I'm a wower. And don't ever show your miserable meese faces around here again. Well, in that, Mr. Jinx was pronouncing mice in the way that it was pronounced before the great vowel shift. Maybe he was some kind of historical linguist. In any case, that's where Y comes from. It starts out basically as we, except it was pronounced hui, and it's the instrumental of what? And here we are with it today. You know, while we're in that 1950s era, let me play you something. Doesn't this sound familiar? This is going to sound like the I Love Lucy theme song, but it isn't. Listen to this. John Meek, Shirley Mitchell, Russell Trent, Walter Kingsford, Elvia Allman, Lou Leonard, Kirk Kirkham, and Melinda Plowman. See how it sounds like an alternate universe, I Love Lucy? That's because it's actually written by the same guy, Elliot Daniel, and the instrumentation is by the same guy, Wilbur Hatch. That is the theme song of December Bride. Big hit on TV in the mid-50s. It was actually filmed right next door to I Love Lucy. A lot of the same people worked on it. If you watch December Bride, you see a lot of the same guest stars. It had the same feel. You can tell they're breathing the same air. And the theme song is one of those things. If you like the I Love Lucy theme song, but you got sick of it, you can listen to the December Bride theme song. So that's what that is. In any case, let's get back to the subject. We're talking about an invention on why. So I'm going to I'm gonna just kind of throw everything in the kitchen and sink into this show, but it's because I really do enjoy why. Why is actually a rather crude word in our language. It covers too much territory. It really is kind of a monster. In a real language, you don't have just one word why that covers all the territory that we think of as unitary. A language makes distinctions. And so, for example, how about one of my very favorite languages that I don't actually address enough these days on the show? How about good old Russian? There are two words for why, if you learn Russian. One of them is pochimu, and then the other one is zachim. And it's annoying at first. You think, why can't they just use one? And you wish it were pochimu. But no, there are two kinds of whyness. And what I mean by that is this. Suppose you ask somebody, well, why did you stay home? You could say, because I was sick. Or you could say, because I was waiting for the plumber. 
Those are two different kinds of reasons. If you ask somebody, well, why did you stay home? And the reason was that you were feeling sick. Then in Russian, you say, почему? And so, what was the reason that you stayed home? Почему ты остался дома? Why did you stay home? But then, if the reason you stayed home was for a purpose, so it's not for what reason did you stay home, what made you so that you didn't leave home, but for what purpose did you decide to stay home, what was going on that meant that you had to stay home, then it's зачем, which means roughly behind what. So why'd you stay home while I was waiting for the plumber? Зачем ты остался дома? So what was the purpose of your staying home. And then you say, I'm waiting for the plumber. So you have two different ones. Why, as in what caused it, and then why, as in what was the purpose. So if you ask somebody, you stayed home, you wouldn't answer because I was sick. That doesn't work. It has to be that you were waiting for the plumber or something like that. Now, what's interesting is that if you're learning Russian from English, the difference between pochimu and zachem seems subtle. It's kind of annoying. But the truth is, we actually have equivalents to the same sorts of things. And so, for example, there's why did you do that as opposed to what did you do that for? So why did you do that? Because you had some kind of deja vu and it made you do something you wouldn't usually do. What did you do that for? Well, because I knew the plumber was coming or something like that. So we do have that kind of distinction. It's just that we don't have a separate single word. So why did you do that? What did you do that for? And it's interesting what this what did you do that for would lead to in English if we would let our language develop. Actually, English is trying to have that same distinction that Russian does because that distinction is normal. It's English that's crude in this case. And what I mean by that is, if you listen closely to colloquial American English, you can hear some people, I really should say you used to hear some people because I associate this with old radio and old TV and old movies, but I assume there's still people doing it. As a matter of fact, I know there's still people doing it. But you can hear people saying something like, what did you do that? And what they mean is, what did you do that for? But they leave off the for because context allows you to know that if somebody says, what did you do that? What you mean is, why did you do that? Now, I know that sounds weird, partly because I am not somebody who says that sort of thing. I don't sound like I have the right tone. Let's go back to the Abbott and Costello TV show, which is a joy forever, because they are mid-20th century, very colloquial white guy speakers, and they do it all the time. Listen to Costello when he says, what do you think I got Sally in the icebox? What he means is, what do you think I got Sally in the icebox for? That's what he means. Or, you know, uh, what do you grab her right away for? But instead, he says, uh, what do you grab her right away? Like that. So listen to them. Oh, no, no, not not in the icebox. It's enough here, all over the place. You've got Sally's. Look, let me ask you something, Lou. Have you really proposed to Sally? What do you think I got Sally in the icebox? What do you think I got Sally here for? I got Sally I in, the, in the other room. Has she said yes to you? I got her an answer every time I pass by just to get enough nerve and say, Hello, Sally, I love you. I've oh, oh now you're looking for your nerve. You have no nerve. I've asked her four or five times to What did she say? Well, I think she's very happy about it, but she doesn't she's give not, me a, an answer, oh, you, you know. No. Look, I'll show you how to propose to Sally. You gonna marry Sally? No, Why, you look, culprit. Take it easy, not me. No, I want you to be happy, Lou. Oh. I, I'll pretend. Look, I'll pretend I'm Sally. 
You're going to be Sally? I'll be Sally, and you're Lou, and I want to see how you would propose to, to Sally. No, 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 you no. Don't no. even look like Sally. You just can't. pretend. Now, you come over to me. Uh, here, step over there. Now, you're coming over to me. Yeah. I'm Sally. Now, you come over to me and propose. Now, let me see what what you would really say. Go ahead. Sally, darling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So what that means is that if we let English move along, that four could just fall away completely. And so it would be, what do you grab her right away? Which would be another way of saying, why did you grab her right away? Because there's no confusion. What do you grab her right away? There's no question as to what you grab because you grabbed her. It would just be that we'd have this pleasantly weird, complicated little situation where what could refer to an object or a concept, or it could also be used to ask the reason why. This is what normal languages do. I like it when English is becoming more and more normal. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hence, to use a pretentious word, well, that explains another pretentious word, which is wherefore. So wherefore makes perfect sense. What did you do that for? What for? Wherefore is an alternate. And it's one of those Shakespeare words that can confuse you because to us it sounds like where. So there's the classic example of Romeo and Juliet. Oh, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? Deny thy father and refuse thy name. Now, it's so easy, and this happens in really amateur productions, that you have Juliet up there on this teetering balcony, and it's, oh, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou? And, and she's staged as meaning, where are you? But the thing is, he's right there. In terms of the whole setting of the play, he's right there. She knows where he is. She's not supposed to put her hand over her eyes and seek him out. Where are you, Romeo? What she means is, why are you Romeo? Why do you have to belong to that family? So, oh, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? Why are you Romeo? Deny thy father and refuse thy name. Or if thou wilt not, be but sworn my love and I'll no longer be a Capulet. So that's what she means. Why must you be Romeo? So it's cute to imagine it meaning where are you, but it's not. It's not the case. It's cute, actually, in um, The Wizard of Oz, where they get this charmingly wrong. If I only had a brain, the Tin Man's version, if I only had a heart, we can listen to Jack Haley. And for one thing, listen to his magnificently arless, old school, urban northeast accent. He doesn't have a heart. He has a heart. But then also listen to the way they handle wherefore art thou Romeo. What this woman means is, Romeo, where, where are you? Can't find you. I'd be tender, I'd be gentle, and awful sentimental regarding love and art. I'd be friends with the sparrows and the boy who shoots the arrows if I only had a heart. Picture me a balcony above a voice sings low. Wherefore art thou, Romeo? I hear a beat. How sweet just to register emotion. Jealousy, devotion, 
and really feel the Because if they knew that it was why are you Romeo, then it wouldn't be why are you Romeo. They think it means where are you, Romeo? Jolly, good old American popular culture. In any case, it's time for a song cue. And you know what we're going to use? We're going to use a song called Why, Oh Why, and Wherefore, because it's just so perfect here. This is by Vincent Humans. You hear about Cole Porter, George Gershwin, Irving Berlin, Jerome Kern, etc., Richard Rogers, of course. Vincent Humans was just as good as them, but he was sickly, he was a mess, he died in the 40s, and he therefore never had an original cast album. He was not a classical composer, so there's no Rhapsody in Blue. So you haven't heard of him if you aren't part of a certain obsessive set. But this song is from his hit musical, Hit the Deck of 1928. Even in the 50s, he was still known enough that there was a big musical made of Hit the Deck. And this is Tony Martin, Vic Damone, and Rex Dennis, whoever he was, singing this really catchy 20s tune in a very 50s arrangement. This is Why, Oh, Why, and Wherefore. Why, oh, why, and wherefore have I no one to care for me? Where's my Cinderella? How gloomy can a fella be? That moon, a lovely sight. This is such a lovely night. Don't mind me, pals. I'm all right. Sure, we're only doggone lonely. Wish that I could visit the home of some exquisite blonde. Oh. Man alive, there should be a doll of whom I could be found. It's terrible, unbearable. It doesn't look so good for us. It looks as if we miss the bus. Oh, why, oh, why, and wherefore is there no one to care for? Why, oh, why, and wherefore? So, wherefore? Then there's another way of saying why that's relevant here, and that is how come. Now, how come is interesting because if you try to look up its first attestation, it looks like it's some sort of relatively new Americanism. The first attestation is in 1848. That could not possibly be the case, though, because, for example, Dutch has the same thing. Frisian, which we've seen on this show as English's closest relative, spoken in various parts of Northern Europe, it has how come. And Frisian and Dutch and English split off from one another 2,000 plus years ago. And so one can assume that there's been a how come for much longer. It's just that it's a colloquial construction, and so it didn't happen to make it to the page. But you wonder sometimes, or at least, you know, I used to, why isn't it how comes? Isn't it supposed to be how comes it that you blah, 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 blah? 
And instead, it's how come you, well, where'd the sugo? That is probably because you used to also be able to say, how came it that? How came that you blah, 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 blah. So how come ended up being patterned on that by analogy. And so it's an idiomatic construction, odder than we might think, because it should be how comes, but instead it's how come. But this is the thing about good old how come. This is what's really interesting. How come is the way we say what Russian does with pochimu. For what reason? What caused it? How come you're so irritable? How come this shrimp tastes like an eraser? That sort of thing. How come the shrimp tastes like an eraser? Now, that means that we have how come and then what for. How come and what for are the pochimu and the zachim? How come this shrimp tastes like an eraser? What did you stay home instead of coming to work for? Those are subtly different things. We have that subtlety, but it's only in the colloquial language, which we think of as slangy, as not the real thing. So there's no book that would teach you, well, English has a subtle differentiation between how come and what for. Instead, those are thought of as just, you know, alternates to why and, you know, let's move on, what's for lunch. But no, that's where the language is, as subtle as Russian. But nobody tells us the truth. Who will tell the people? It's just not fair. I want you to listen to this. This is this Sranan Creole that I keep on finding myself talking about on this show. This is spoken in Suriname. This is the lingua franca of Suriname, of whatever ethnicity you are in Suriname, you speak Sranan Creole. And this language emerged on plantations there, first under English rule. And then when the English gave the colony to the Dutch, then it existed under Dutch. And so today, the high language, if you will, in Suriname is Dutch. And the slangy language, the language that everybody speaks, the language you do your real living in, that is this Sranan Creole. Now, listen to this Sranan pop song and just this part. What he's saying is fusanede, fusanede. And what that means is why. Unfortunately, in the song, it's why did my father go away? Why is my father gone? But fusanede. Mike, play that again. So fusanede, what is that? That's four what head, and that's how you say why in Srana. So there are languages where how you say why gets weirder than you know Russian or certainly anything in English. You have really interesting what began as idioms that are now basically just words. So fu is for. Sani is originally from something, and it means what, and ede is head. So fusanede means for what head. Now why in the world do they say for what head to mean why? And the reason is because of mainly British expressions such as, well, he's got to have his own head. And that means he had to have it his way. He has to have his head. Head as in reason. If you're listening to Brits, you're listening to them 400 years ago, you know, for what head? That might be what you make out of this word head in addition to it being the thing that is above your neck. And so, fusanede is in Sranan, what? And it means for what head? 
often shortened to sanede. And so, what head? So, of all things, it starts out in English as something and head, and now there's this newish language where it means why. You could have even more of this show than other people. You could get a little tag at the end where I give you some more tasty factoids, might play some music, give a recipe, who knows? But you can't hear it unless you sign up for what we call Slate Plus. Slate Plus is a special program where for a nominal fee, you get to hear that tag at the end of this episode. And also, you don't have to listen to me do any ads. You don't have to listen to anybody else doing the ads. You get to just listen to it all the way through, and it's a little longer. And it's not just my show. It would be for all of Slate's podcasts, where you get a little extra bit, and you don't have to listen to any commercials for mattresses or beer or anything else. Just think about how that would feel. And if that sounds like a happy prospect, then please go to slate.com slash lexicon plus. That's slate.com slash lexicon plus. For example, I feel guilty about something. There's something I did wrong once and I feel guilty about it, but you're not going to know what it is unless you sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash lexicon plus. Do it today. You'll be glad you did. Anyway, remember that thing that I played at the beginning where Dolly and, and me are singing? Oh, oh no, I can't say that. That Dolly and I are singing... <laughs> Well, maybe that was cute. Maybe that was disgusting. But I think you ought to hear the real thing. That was from the musical Call Me Madam. 1950, it was an Ethel Merman vehicle. It's still done here and there today. And she actually got to do the movie of it three years later. And the song was called You're Just in Love. And when this song was first presented to an applauding public in Boston during the tryouts of the show, it said that there were 10 encores of it. I doubt that. However, the song was a massive hit. And so here is Ethel Merman and Donald O'Connor singing You're Just in Love in the movie of Call Me Madam, which I highly recommend if you like this sort of thing. You don't need an ally. There's no Now, you know, there's a little bit more about why. And in order to understand why, so to speak, let's listen to, I mean, this is going to be completely unprecedented for this show. Let's listen to a clip from an old sitcom. This one is Make Room for Daddy. And it is the late 50s. This is with Danny Thomas. And listen to what a man says when he approaches Danny. Say, aren't you Danny Williams? No. No, I'm not. His name is Homer Canfield. That's right. Uh, He's in the Hawaiian shirt business. I forgive you, Daddy. Notice that say? You get used to that, especially in old things. Say, that's the guy I saw yesterday. Notice you wouldn't say it now. 
Now, I know some of you are going to write and say that you do say it, but most of you aren't. It's largely an old-fashioned expression. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't say, say, why don't we put some pepper on that? Unless I was striking a deliberately archaic tone. That's a discourse particle. That's what linguists call those. And they change over time, just as the rest of language does. And they have a lot to do with tipping us off as to where on the timeline of a language a text is. Another example of this actually goes all the way back to Old English. Talk about timeline. And so there's the way what can be used in Old English. What it was. So Beowulf, for example, begins with the word what. Roughly, you can imagine that what it means is what? We've heard of the glory of those spear Danes and those clan kings in the days of yore. But why would it begin with what? I mean, it certainly doesn't work in modern English. And the truth is that exclamation point, that's something that we've inserted since. There's no punctuation in Beowulf manuscripts. And the truth is, if you look at how what is actually used in that kind of way in Beowulf, you can see that it was actually a discourse particle. What, what meant was roughly what we would say as so. So it's, <laughs> so it's, so we have heard of the glory of the spear Danes and the clan kings in the days of yore. So it's a nice folksy way of beginning what almost certainly was delivered orally around the fire to people as a kind of entertainment. We think of it as a text, but most people would have experienced it as something said by someone. When you say things, often, these days especially, you start with so. Remember the show I did about that? So, what is another one of these discourse particles. Well, you know, there is a discourse particle usage of why, too. Not something we think about consciously, but what I mean, for example, is this. Here's a bit from Gone with the Wind. This is Vivian Lee's Scarlett O'Hara talking. Listen to how she uses why. Why Ashley Wilkes? You aren't supposed to know anything about that. Or here is the grand old Preston Sturges comedy, The Lady Eve. This is Barbara Stanwyck and Henry Fonda. Listen to what Barbara Stanwyck says. Something about that perfume. That Don't you like my perfume? Like it. I'm cockeyed on it. I have to. You ought to be kept in a cage. So there's that. Why? And it starts as basically, why should I even have to say it? Why this is amazing. And that just shortens to using why to indicate that you're about to say something that's relatively novel or relatively surprising or relatively unexpected. It just becomes a chunk. So just like like begins as a word that means akin to, and now it's just an articulate kind of stutter that either allows you to hedge a bit, or even to, in a very interesting way, emphasize the reality of something. That's another one of the stories of like. Remember the show we did with like way back in about 1958, before it existed? But there's that why. So that why is all over the early 20th century, for example. But by the late 20th century, it's only being used generally in irony. So for example, the, um, if I may, the, the swishy character, as one would have put in the old days, in the movie Airplane. He uses the why, but that is partly because he's supposed to read as somewhat arch. And in fact, I'm just thinking of this right now, at a certain point, he mentions Barbara Stanwyck. And so, listen to him. Chief, this weather bulletin just came off the wire. Johnny, what can you make out of this? This? Well, I can make a cap, 
Or a brooch? A pterodactyl? You might think, especially if you're not old enough to remember people actually using it, and it's getting to the point where not too many people are, at least being old enough to remember it being common, you might think that that's just some old movieism, that it's something people only said on stage. But no, and I have a precious source that shows us that that was not the case. I often say that it's hard to get samples of people just talking before roughly 10 minutes ago. In the old days, even when there was recording technology, it was clumsy, such that listening to people in 1951 talking in their kitchen for us is practically impossible. But here it isn't. So I'm going to play you some people in Iowa in 1951. Talk about I Love Lucy. I Love Lucy isn't even on yet, unless this takes place in October or afterward. But it's 1951. They are farm country folk, and they are just talking. And among other things, they actually say Iowa. I have never heard anybody actually say that. I imagine Iowans have. But to me, that is something from old songs. But they actually, some of them say Iowa. And here, we're going to listen to these people and listen to the way they use the Y. Well, now, let's see. Uh, do you know what year the electric lights came to New London? How long has there been electricity here? Well, I don't know. But when we got this place in 1904, Notice also 1904. Most of us now would say 1902, 1904, but notice how at least some people back then were calling it 1904. You never know how these things are going to go. But those are people who are saying why, and they're not Barbara Stanwyck, and you get the feeling these are not stagey people. And so people really did use why in that way. I owe that to my listener, Michelle Marakian. Thank you so much, Michelle, for giving me these recordings. You might not believe it, but I've actually listened through most of them. I am mesmerized listening to these people talking, what would it be, 70 years ago, basically. Very, very interesting. Thank you so much. As we come to the end, I want to play you the overture, I said I was going to throw everything into this one, the overture to the show that the guy who composed that song, Sleigh Bells, that we always enjoy at Christmas, wrote the music for. So that, well, he wrote a whole bunch of songs that are as good as that. And you just know that that person, you know, being a mid-20th century person, he must have tried a musical once. And this overture is one of the favorites of many musical theater fans, including me. The show was called Goldilocks. This is 1958. And it wasn't about Goldilocks or bears. You know, I don't like things that corny. It was about silent film, actually. And part of the reason the show failed is because it was called Goldilocks. But it was a great score right down to this overture. Kicks right in. You like it even if you don't know the songs. You can reach us at Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just to reach out, go to Slate.com slash Lexicon Valley. 
as is likely clear from the show, I do have a lot of old movie dialogue rattling around in my head, but I found myself unequal to finding examples of that why. Everywhere I thought I remembered it, it turned out that the person didn't say it. I was even looking in the movie The Bad Seed, Rhoda doesn't say it. My friend Robert Labiando was quite equal to it, and almost instantly, endless thanks, Robert. I'm guessing you like the Goldilocks Overture as much as I do, which is why I'm playing it. Why Mike Volo is, as always, the editor, and I'm John McWhorter. 